Go ahead, take your Bibles. Take your Bibles and turn to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians, continuing our study. Today's message is entitled, What is God's Will for You? You know, this is one of those subjects, seems like we ask that question a lot. What's God's will for my life? You know, I I need to understand what is God's will in this situation? What is God's will in this circumstance? God, what would you have me to do? What is your will for my life? And a lot of times we wrestle and we struggle with these questions, trying to find the answers. So I want to talk a little bit about that this morning. And I invite everyone back tonight for our combined care group where we will go a lot deeper in discussion on this subject. And no doubt, uh, I've already uh, uh, put in my question that will open a can of worms. So if you want to go fishing with some can of worms tonight, y'all come on out. It'll be some good discussion, Lord willing, uh, around the subject of God's will. Look in the text, if you would. Uh, By the way, I was going to share some punnies I may save those. i got a long list of punnies. Somebody sent me an email. And if those of you have been around, you know pastor's a punny man. But uh, I'm going to hold off on some of those. And thank you for no amen there. All right. Look in 1 Thessalonians 5. And I want to give a, a, a little more... Uh, let's, let's look at this passage in its context again. So let's back up to verse 12 just to recap our thoughts in this letter. 1 Thessalonians 5, 12. And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, Be patient with all. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone. But always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. I'm going to stop the reading right there because today we're actually going to only look, surprise, surprise, at one verse. One verse. Verse 18. In everything, give thanks... For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for just the opportunity to come together as believers and to worship you this morning. Lord, through song, we've already lifted the name of Christ. We've reflected in our hearts upon the death, the burial, and the resurrection of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And Lord, may this worship be about you. May the name of Christ be exalted this morning, and not just this morning alone, Lord, but as we go out of here, that Christ would be exalted in our lives. 
Help us to not only know the will of God, but empower us to live it for your glory, for your namesake. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God. In Christ Jesus for you. Surely Paul doesn't mean in everything. Does he? In a commentary by A.R. Fawcett, he says, Even what seems adverse, for nothing is really so. What does he mean by that statement? If we're to give thanks in everything, some things seem at odds to that statement. I'm supposed to give thanks. Now, think about who Paul's writing to. Think about some of these uh, folks there in Thessalonica, what they've experienced already. Some of them have lost loved ones. We don't know if that's at the hands of persecution. We don't know necessarily what uh, transpired in some of those situations. We know that, uh, again, there's been a number of situations and circumstances where those early Christians have already endured many hardships. Paul himself, while he was there, ran out of town because of an angry mob. So, I'm supposed to give thanks in everything? But you know, as that statement that Fawcett made, even what seems adverse for nothing is really so. Think about this, church. I mean, if God be for you, who can be against you? And there's current pain. There's trials, there's tribulations, there's present suffering. But this doesn't even begin to compare to the glory that awaits those who are believers in Christ Jesus. So what adversity is there? I mean, really, what's the worst thing that can happen in this life? You die and wake up in glory. Wow. Wow. That's the worst you got to bring is, is, a, is, a, is, a, is the uh, threat of death? Death, where's thy sting? Jesus set us free. You don't need to live in bondage of fear. Some of you are, are gripped with fear. Why? What adversity is fear? God's not giving you a spirit of fear that of a sound mind, of love. You know the truth of the Scripture. You know that God is for you, therefore who can be against you? Let me give you a couple of verses. Because this is at the heart of what Paul is wanting these believers to know. Remember, he's already told them, hey, comfort each other with these words. Well, what about those who are dead? Are they going to miss the return of Christ? Are they going to, uh, uh, uh? And he tells them, no, look, we're going to all be caught up in the air together. We're going to be together with the Lord forever. Comfort each other with these words. There's no doubt some fear that's going on in their midst. There's no doubt some persecution. There's some troubles. There's some tribulations. There's some trials. There's challenges. There's life's struggles. But Paul wants them to know, in everything, give thanks. Notice 
You don't have to turn there. I just want to share this passage, but mark it down. Go there today if you need this word from God, this truth to bring comfort and encouragement and strength to you. Romans 8, 28. And we know, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. And you go and continue reading through those passages and it reminds you of the love of Christ and how nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. Ephesians 5.20, Paul told us there that giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul, if there's anyone who understands Trials and tribulations and struggles and pains and persecutions and sufferings. It's the Apostle Paul. And yet, time and time again, you'll find in his writings this phrase. Give thanks. Give thanks. What about Christ? Think about Christ's example. Do you remember what Christ did prior to the night of His betrayal? The upper room, it's something that we remember here. Remember the Lord's table? Christ in in Matthew 26, 27, and He took a cup, and when He had given thanks, He gave it to them, saying, drink of it, all of you. When we do the Lord's table, and Lord willing, on uh, the last Sunday in August, we have scheduled a praise and worship Sunday of testimony time, singing, and we'll take of the Lord's table communion. So uh, please mark that on your calendar. We want you to be here for that. Um, And so uh, it'll be an opportunity for us to share what God's been doing in your life, and maybe there's a passage of Scripture that He's really been using to bring encouragement to you. Look forward to that Sunday morning. But every time we do the Lord's table, He says, do this in remembrance as often as you do this, whenever you do it. Do it in remembrance of Him. In the example there pictured in Christ, He's going to the cross. He's getting ready to be delivered into the hands of those soldiers and He's going to be beaten. He's going to be severely bruised and nailed to a cross for our sake. And yet he's giving thanks. Now he wrestles in the garden and and, and comes to that that, that prayer that we, we find in the Scriptures where he says, not my will be done, but thy will be done. Giving us again an example to follow. Not my will, thy will be done. God's will for our lives is not always our will, is it? I wouldn't have chosen this road. I wouldn't have chosen this suffering. I wouldn't have chosen this trial, this persecution. Notice the phrase, in everything, give thanks. For this, circle that word this. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. This. What is this for? That you should rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks is the will of God in Christ Jesus. 
as the mediator and revealer of that will, observed by those who are in Christ by faith. Turn over to Philippians uh, 3 real fast. Philippians uh, 3. Go eat popcorn. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. There you go. Philippians 3. And look, if you would, in verse 14. Paul writes and says, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us as many as are mature have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly and whose glory is in their shame who set their mind on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to His glorious body, according to the working by which He is able to subdue all things to Himself. It's been said concerning you, God's will is the believer's law. God's will is the believer's law. You know, we don't live under law, we live under grace. But it's not cheap grace. When we think about what Christ did on our behalf, when we think about the suffering... came at a very high price. And He commands us and He tells us as believers under that grace, with that grace, be holy for I am holy. He instructs us throughout the New Testament how we're to walk, how we're to live. The believer's law is God's will. That's what I ought to be living in. I ought to be wanting, I ought to be desiring, I ought to be living by that instruction is the point the person is making. A scholar by the name of Lachman, he rightly reads commas at the end of the three precepts in this passage of Scripture. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16-18, if you look back there, that's what he's referencing. Look at that passage. Think about this. Grammar's everything, right? When it comes to reading and rightly understanding what a sentence is saying or a paragraph is saying. And, and Lachman rightly reads comments at the end of the three precepts. What three precepts? Well, making their reference to all three. In other words, rejoice always, comma. Pray without ceasing, comma. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God. 
in Christ Jesus for you. What's God's will? Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. And in everything, give thanks. You want to know what God's will is? It's right here in Scripture. We don't got to look for it. We don't, we don't, look, look, I know many of you, you think God's will is determined by going outside on a windy day and saying, okay, God, what are you going to want me to do? Please blow to the right passage that I need to read today. That's it. Thank you, Jesus. I got a word from God. Now, I know none of you have ever done that before. Anybody ever see that movie, uh, Sergeant York? Excellent movie. Old-timey, black-and-white movie. True story. And uh, Sergeant, old Mr. York, was a, he was a hooligan. He was a ruffian back in the day. And Jesus got a hold of him, changed his life, transformed him. Then a war broke out. He didn't think he needed to go fight. He was torn. So he goes up on a mountaintop to pray and seek God as to what God would have him do. And that wind blows that page. I know it was just a movie and we don't get our theology from movies. But it was a good movie. No, we get God's will from God's word. Look over in 1 Thessalonians. Paul's already talked about some of this in regards to God's will for our life. Uh, look over in, in Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And we talked about, and this is so cool. Man, I, God is just great. I mean, He is like, He's God. You know, this is good stuff. This morning, I'm listening to the voice of truth on the radio. And what passage was it that the service was on? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And yet, this was already in the manuscript. God had it together. Notice 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. For this is the will of God. What is the will of God? Your sanctification. You want to know what the will of God is for your life, Christian? God has spelled it out loud and clear. Your sanctification. Sanctification. God has set you apart for His purpose. He wants you to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To live out His Word in this world until He takes you home. The moment you receive Christ, you were declared innocent, not guilty. Justification. We are now in a process, in a walk in this world where we should be conforming daily to the image of Christ. He that's begun a good work in you will complete it. And I'm in this walk, I'm in this journey of sanctification, justification, sanctification. And one day in the presence of the Lord, we will see glorification. This is the will of God, your sanctification. Now there in 1 Thessalonians, and we talked on this, I don't want to spend a lot of time on it, he says that you should abstain from sexual immorality. And the context there in which he's writing, he is warning those believers because, again, think about the context, think about the culture, think about what's going on. The ancient Greeks and Romans believed that the will of God, little g, could only be discovered through 
uh, sorcery, divination, you know, these practicing of pagan religion that was going on rampant in that area. That's how they thought you could determine God's will. You know, a couple of little potions, a little chant, maybe down at the prophetess or whatever. That's how they would determine. That's not how we determine determine God's will. It's not a mystical, hidden mystery what God wants for your life. He's spelled it out. He's written it. He's revealed it. The Apostle Paul, speaking of the mystery of his will being made known, you find that in Ephesians 1.9. He also instructs believers about the will of God so that they can know how to please Him. God's explained to us how we can please Him. We're pleased through the cross. That's the only satisfaction that was needed. But as followers of Christ, as children of God, We are called to a higher calling. We are called to a purpose. We are called to a walk. And that walk is in denying self, taking up our cross, and following after Christ. The word sanctification is the word hagiosmos, refers to the process of becoming holy. The process of becoming holy. Holy. Look, when I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ and received Christ as my Lord and my Savior, I was filthy in sin. I was deep in the miry clay. I was in the pit of sin. I was dead in my trespasses and sin. And guess what? You were too. It doesn't matter if you had sat on a church pew all your life you were just as filthy in the eyes of God as I was. And it's only through the grace of God that you and I can be made whole, that we can be made clean. It's because of the grace that God has given us in His Son, Jesus Christ. And that's been displayed at the cross at Calvary. It's finished. There's no work to be done to become holy. You simply need to respond to what's been done on your behalf. Receive Christ. Respond to that call. Respond to that forgiveness and that grace that He offers you. Freely offers you. And if you by faith receive His forgiveness, you are clothed in His righteousness. And when that really happens, when that transaction genuinely takes place in the heart of a man or a woman, there's a new desire to want to live in a life that's pleasing, to live a life that's obedient to what God has called us to. This process involves dedicating oneself to serving God by loving Him and loving others. Speaking of the will of God, the Westminster Confession of Faith said it this way, the whole counsel of God, the whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary for His own glory, man's salvation, faith, and life is either expressly set down in Scripture or by good and necessary consequence may be deduced from Scripture, unto which nothing at any time is to be added, 
whether by new revelations or uh, new revelations of the Spirit or traditions of man. I want to read that again because I think a lot of us didn't really capture what's being said in this Westminster Confession of Faith. The will of God. This is in reference to the will of God. The whole counsel of God continually... Excuse me, say that, it's easy for you. The whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary for His own glory, man's salvation, faith, and life is either expressly set down in Scripture or by good and necessary consequence may be deduced from Scripture unto which nothing at any time is to be added whether by new revelation of the Spirit or traditions of men. What does that mean? It means everything you need to know about God's will for you is already here. It's written down. It's already recorded. Your instructions on how to live a life set apart unto God is right here in God's Word. The problem is we prefer, because of the struggle within our own sinful nature, we prefer the mystical. We prefer those uh, uh, things that tend to agree with the old nature. We would rather hear something that tickles our ears. Makes us feel good about ourselves. Oh, we're in a self-esteem society. You know, we don't want to squelch anybody. We don't want anybody's feelings to be hurt. You know. God's will is already written down. It's, it's recorded. It's there for us. And, and if you're wrestling through an issue, if you're struggling with a situation, whatever it is you're facing, I can assure you the answer is here. And it may take some prayer. It may take some time. It may take some study. It may take some reflection to determine God's will in regards to your circumstance. But it's here. Now, we'll get into tonight in our discussion time. What about some of these things that aren't written down? I mean, no, what about, what about this job? What about that situation? What about... So we'll look at some of those. So feel free to bring those. But just remember, we have an hour. That's what you want to tell me. I know. Hush it now. Hush it. <laughs> All right. How about God's will for us? Source unknown. I found this. I thought this was really neat. Source unknown. So we want to give credit to where credit's due. Source unknown. God's will for us is, number one, sanctification is God's will for us. Avoiding sexual immorality and impurity is God's will for us. Did you hear that? Avoiding sexual immorality and impurity is God's will for us. 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 through 8. Wise living is God's will for us. Ephesians 5.15 through 21. Wise living is God's will for us. Ephesians 5.15 through 21. Non-confirmation, transformation, and renewal are God's will for us. Romans 12.1 through 2. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. By the renewing of your mind. Romans 12. You want to know God's will? There's part of it. Continual rejoicing. Continual rejoicing. Ceaseless prayer. 
and constant thanksgiving are God's will for us. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Number two, if sanctification is God's will will for us, the second one is security is God's will for us. Look up John 6, 38 through 40. Security. God wants you to have security. He wants you to understand that. John 6, 38 through 40. Um, The third, service. Service is God's will for us. God expects you to serve, Christian. That's found in Ephesians 6, 5 through 9. Ephesians 6, 5 through 9 and 1 Peter 5, 2. Suffering is God's will for us. We don't hear that on the TBN channel too much, do you? Or the, what's the other one? TBT or TNT? Well, no, not TNT. You won't hear anything on that one. Suffering is God's will for us. That's 1 Peter 3.17, 1 Peter 4.19. That's the one us Christians don't like. But did you know God said that's part of it? Those of you who desire to live godly lives will suffer persecution. These are just some of the things that are already written in Scripture that tell you and me this is God's will for our lives. James Moffat wrote the following regarding 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. I want to read this. This is is good stuff. It says, "To, To comment adequately on these diamond drops would be an outline, a history of the Christian experience. It would be an outline, a history of the Christian experience in its higher levels. To the natural man who lives for this present world, Paul gives a startling injunction. As usual, though, Paul does not command them to do something he did not model for them as testified by numerous passages. Romans 1.8 First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all because your faith is being <coughs> proclaimed throughout the whole world. 1 Corinthians 1.4 I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus that in everything you were enriched in Him in all speech and all knowledge. Ephesians 1.16 Do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. I do not cease giving thanks. Philippians 1.3 I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Colossians 1.3 We give thanks to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ praying always for you. Philemon 1.4 I thank my God always making mention of you in my prayers. In everything. It's the Greek word pos. It's, it's for emphasis. It means no exceptions. No exceptions. In everything. I give thanks. All times. Every situation. Every circumstance. Good, bad, happy, sad. This all-inclusive, emphatic, adverbial phrase lifts this admonition above the level of natural practice or possibility. The previous two commands are continuous as to time, always. Always rejoice, always pray without ceasing. And this one is universal in scope. Really, Paul? This is not humanly possible. To which Paul would reply, you're right, it's not 
It's only superhumanly possible. Okay, I see it now. It's impossible. But it is Him possible. Amen? So we're not surprised to see the attitude of gratitude with a spirit-filled, controlled, enabled saint. You find this in the context of Ephesians 5.18. You know that passage? Paul lists one of the indicators of spirit-filling, writing that he or she is always... Let's look at that passage. Turn over there real quick. Ephesians 5. Look in 5.18. Ephesians 5.18. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks, what? Always. For all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That word always is the same word that we find over here back in our First Thessalonians passage. There's an attitude of gratitude associated with being a spirit-filled, controlled, enabled saint. No exceptions. Notice that Paul says in everything, and this is important, church member, if you fell asleep, wake up and write this one down. Paul says in everything, not for everything. There's a difference. There's a difference. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for, uh, um, for allowing my family member to be murdered. Really? Really? That's not what he means. But in the midst of this terrible tragedy and this situation that's come upon me in my life, I can still, in the midst of that, give thanks to God because I know that nothing has come into my life without His knowing and that it is ultimately for His glory and my good. Paul says, in everything, not for everything. Paul is not calling us to be thankful for the rebellious kids. (laughs) Oh, I just praise the Lord. I got four little wild ones in my house. Thank you, Jesus. I just love the way they backtalk their mom and me. Or for the terminal illness. The preposition is in all things. In the midst of all things. We can give thanks because God will enable us to do so. God is sovereign and is over all adversity and all prosperity. The upshot is that everything that is allowed into our lives, either from His hand directly or is filtered through His hands of perfect love and infinite wisdom, and so we can give thanks in everything because He is still on the throne and is in control. Amen. In his book, A Bend in the Road, David Jeremiah tells a story. A lady by the name of Carol Carlson, who was a good friend and a gifted writer, she writes this story. 
Kent left the house that Thursday with a smile and a bear hug from his mom. At 18, life for him was wonderful. He had graduated from high school with honors and had a good job working in a toy factory and college was in his sights. The night before, he had gone to church and heard a message from two verses. All things work together for good, Romans 8, 28, and in everything give thanks, 1 Thessalonians 5, 18. Kent was in a thankful mood, especially grateful for the airplane he and his dad had just purchased. His dream was to become a missionary pilot. The future gleamed with promise. On Thursday night, he called home and said, Mom, I'm just going to go out and practice a few touch and goes. Hold supper for me. I'll be home by nine. Kent never came home. In a clump of trees at the edge of a little country airport lay the crashed plane and the bodies of Kent and his buddy Rick. One moment in time changed our lives. On that warm June night, God chose to take one of our precious children. How does a parent continue to exist beyond that moment? Will the knots in our insides ever leave? In the weeks and months to follow, I learned more about God's love than I had in all my years of being a Christian. I learned that His Word speaks to our needs. My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. 2 Corinthians 12.9 When I felt helpless to do even the small task of the day, I'd repeat, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Philippians 4.13 Every time I saw a good-looking blonde kid on the street and thought my heart would break, I remembered the verse Kent had underlined in his Bible. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. 1 Thessalonians 4.13 When I began to indulge in self-pity, I'd embrace my husband, Ward, who was suffering as intensely as I was, and remember that God said, Therefore comfort each other and edify one another, just as you also are doing. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 In fact, we found strength in encouraging others. Kent's little brother didn't understand why his buddy didn't come home. His big sister had lost her pal and confidant. The friends in the youth group at church questioned God, and the kids at school asked, Why? Why? The grace of God gave us comfort. But it also pierced us with the urgency to reach out to others. Ward and I grew closer together as we tried to console other parents who had suffered a loss. We developed an uncommon boldness to minister to those who were hurting. I wish for no one the experience of losing a child. But a far greater tragedy is to lose the opportunity to know Jesus Christ intimately. How grateful we are that our children know and love Him. Life has meaning for us simply because we have the assurance when this life is over that we will all be reunited. There's a poem written by Barclay Ron Allen. 
says this, I found a friend when life seemed not worth living. I found a friend so tender and forgiving. I can't conceive how such a thing could be that Jesus cares for even me. Each day, each year, my faith in Him is growing. He's ever near. His love is overflowing. I have no fear. My worldly cares are few. I can depend on Him to see me through. I found a friend, and He is your friend too. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word, because in it Your will is revealed. And Lord, as I stand here before these folks today and share this truth from Your Word, I don't know the hearts of these folks, but I am thankful You do. And Lord, I pray for the heart of every listener that Your Word, Your truth would minister grace to the hearer. Lord, no doubt there may be someone listening via the radio or someone here in our midst that does not know Christ as their Lord and their Savior. Lord, would You move upon their heart to bring them to a place of broken surrender, a place of repentance, that they would call upon the only name given amongst men by which they can be saved, the name of Jesus Christ. Nobody looking around, I wonder if there is someone here this morning. Pastor, I don't know Christ. I don't know Him as my Lord and Savior. But God's spoken in my heart today. And I want to surrender my life to Christ. If that's you, would you slip your hand up and put it back down? I just want to pray for you. I'm not going to come to you. Just put your hand up and pull it back down. I don't know Christ. But I want that relationship. I want to know my sins are forgiven. Father, you know every heart. You know every person. Whether they can raise their hand physically or, Lord, whether they've got it outstretched to you in their heart, it doesn't really matter. The fact is that you know and you alone give salvation. Lord, may they call upon you for that grace needed. And Lord, for those that are here hurting, and there is many, I'm sure, that are dealing with circumstances, fears, troubles, trials, tribulations. Lord, remind us all this morning, as we have been reminded through Your Word, that in everything, in everything, may we give thanks. For this is Your will in Christ Jesus. And Lord, may You give the strength needed to those that are hurting this morning. Give them your peace that passes all understanding. And we thank you. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. It was good to be in the house of the Lord today, amen? Amen. 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 Hope you